Good morning, church. Man, excited that you're here today. What an exciting time to be together in this place as the family of God to celebrate our risen Savior, one with each other as we've gathered around the Lord's table. If we've lifted his name up in praise, we'll dig into the word of God here in just a minute to recognize how we're called to live in Christ Jesus. I know we do have some guests with us today. Thank you for joining us, being a part of our time together. We are truly glad that you're here. And of course, if you're looking for a church home, then we'd love for you to think about Crosspoint being that place you could call home to join us uh, in telling that story of hope that is Jesus Christ. Uh, together in him, we learn to overcome the world. We journey together, we learn together, uh, and we love together. And so that's a great, uh, great thing to do in life as we, we move in this community and all over the world to tell the story of hope that is Jesus Christ. This morning, we're starting a brand new series called Beautiful Interference, and uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 12 this morning. Hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. We'll be there in just uh, a few moments. We're going to look at some other texts as well today, and all of our texts will be on the screen uh, as well. I need to kind of let you know a little bit about what does the title truly mean. And over these four weeks, we're going to unpack what this really means to fall in love with Jesus Christ and to live the life that he's called us to live. Uh, because I am certain that you and I have packed calendars. You and I have a lot going on in our life. There's not a lot of margin to do extra things in our life. And I do believe that sometimes that we're a lot like what happens to Jesus in Mark chapter 1. It's a Saturday. He's at the synagogue and he's teaching. And there's a man that's possessed, comes into the synagogue, runs up to Jesus Christ, and he asks a simple question. Jesus of Nazareth, why are you interfering with us? And I think we ask that question sometimes, maybe not out loud, but to Jesus in our own life. I mean, we're consumed with our hobbies, with schoolwork, with family time. We, we want to do a date night and we want to go on trips and vacations and all that is all good. But sometimes we don't leave margin in our life to truly live out how God's called us to live. And so this series is about being beautifully interrupted for Jesus Christ. It's about the idea that you and I, once we discover truly how God's called us to live and we are interrupted by Jesus, what we find is a beautiful life. And that's what we want in Christ Jesus. We want to know how to overcome the world around us. And that comes in lots of different ways for you and for me. It may look differently. But as long as we're trying to encompass everything that God's called us to live out in his son, Jesus Christ, that's what truly matters. I know for a girl named Kelsey, a 16-year-old Christian girl in Tulsa, Oklahoma, many years ago, she decided uh, she wanted to do more. She wanted to be a little risky for the story of God, to do something in her life that she felt meant something. She had grown up in a Christian family, lived in a Christian bubble, went to a Christian school. She was doing everything within our culture that would be normal for a Christian person to do, but she felt called to do something different. And at 16 years old, she made a decision to ask her parents if she could go with a missionary team to hand out Bibles in Vietnam. Now, it's against the law to gather in the name of Jesus in Vietnam. It's against the law to have a Bible in Vietnam. 
But she wanted to go and, and get out of her bubble and do something different, a little more risky for the cause of Christ. And with a lot of persuasion, a lot of talking, her parents finally allowed her to go on this mission trip. And so surely uh, the, the group gathered at the airport and they flew over, checked into the hotel and began to decide who's going to do what on the given days of the week that lie in front of them. Kelsey was assigned Tuesday night, and so Tuesday came, and she packed her backpack full of Bibles in Vietnamese, and she was going to visit an underground church, and they decided this is how it's going to work out. At night, we're going to take you to a, uh, an open marketplace. You're going to walk through a warehouse to a back door. When you open that door, there's going to be a man at the bottom of the stairs on a motorcycle who's going to take you to where the underground church meets. So sure enough, Tuesday night came, she packed all her Bibles, she walked through the warehouse after being let out in the marketplace, opened the back door, and sure enough, at the bottom of the stairs was a guy on a motorcycle who, who motioned for her to come get on. Don't ask any questions, just get on and I'll take you where you need to go. And so they, they got on the motorcycle and left town. They drove for about two hours out into the jungle, the roads. They stopped at a certain location, and she could see some lights, some lanterns through, through the, the trees. And so she ventured out to where she saw those lights, and she heard a low singing happening. See, the, the underground church, the house church had gathered in that place that night to worship Jesus Christ. And they were happy to see her. The pastor welcomed her to the group. They all hugged her up. She took off the backpack, unzipped it, and handed out all the Bibles that she had brought but the pastor said, you can't stay more than 10, 15 minutes because if the authorities come here, we could explain maybe why we're meeting. But with a white American here, I'm not sure that we could pull that off. So you're going to have to leave. So in about 15 minutes, she got back on the motorcycle, drove all the way that two hours back to town. Eventually came back home and felt success. She had risked something for the cause of Christ. She had lived into the story that she felt she was being called to do. And Jesus asked us in our own lives to risk a little bit as well. And if you and I are going to do what Jesus says are the most important things, the two most important things, you and I are going to have to do some hard things. You and I are going to have to take some risk in life. There's a lot out there that we need to wrap our arms around over these next four weeks to better understand how we're called to live in Jesus Christ, what he calls us to do in our own life, and how our life is going to unpack along the way. Now, to think about the hard job that we have at hand as Christians, I, I began thinking about other stressful, difficult, hard jobs to do right here in America. I looked at three different websites and kind of garnered maybe the top five difficult jobs that you and I might have if we were in the secular world. And number five is the event coordinator. You laugh. But think about someone that spent thousands of dollars on that wedding and you've got to juggle all the different balls and make sure everything comes together. It's a, it's a stressful, sometimes difficult job. We certainly could come uh, in agreement with number four, the police officer who has a difficult task each and every day, meeting the public, serving and protecting, stressful, hard, difficult. Or certainly number three, the aircraft pilot, who has hundreds of people that he is in charge of, that he's got to make sure, get off the ground and land safely. Or number two, the firefighter, who runs toward chaos rather than away from chaos. 
every single day could be a life-changing moment for them. And certainly the number one would be the enlisted military personnel who each and every day guard America for us so that we can meet like this today. There are difficult, stressful, hard jobs out there. The job that Jesus gives us to do is hard, but it's not complicated. It's risky, but it's not dangerous. Before we get to our text this morning, I, I want to remind us of what Jesus is going through in the moment. Because in Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 11, and the front end of chapter 12, that the religious leaders of Jesus' day are kind of attacking him. They're trying to paint him into a corner, get him to say something that would just diminish his ministry because they are absolutely upset with how people are flocking to follow this new rabbi, Jesus. What is he about? He has a different story than we tell. Jesus seems to be more inclusive in the group that he, he hangs out with. And so they have question after question after question trying to derail Jesus' ministry. Now, I don't know if you've had this experience with your own kids at home or maybe your grandkids at home, but there may be a moment where there is just question after question after question when finally you have had enough and you just say, because I said so. Anybody like that out there? And we've all... That's funny. Somebody's hand back here immediately was just like... And in our text, it seems that Jesus kind of answers the question with that kind of mentality. He's, he's tired of the poking and the prodding and the questions, and he finally just says, this is the thing that sums everything up. And our text begins in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other command is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far. From the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus says, when you sum up everything that has to do with you and God, there's only two things that are really of most importance. That is that you love God with every ounce of who you are and you love people the same way. That you interact in both realms with everything that you are. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus and the religious leader in our text both agree that these two things are more important than in their culture even worship. Think about that for a moment. I mean, worship for the Jewish nation was all-inclusive. I mean, they're a theocracy 
not a democracy like us. Theocracy means God is the most important thing and everything revolves around God, period. And so once a week, every week, no matter what village or town that you live in, there is synagogue. You go on Saturday and you read God's word, the Hebrew Bible. You sing together, you fellowship together, you pray together. There might be that, that pilgrimage once a year to Jerusalem. We actually go to the Temple Mount and with you as a family, the lead family member would take an animal to sacrifice for the sins of he and his family. Literally handing that animal over to the priest who would then cut the throat of that animal and then lay it on the altar for forgiveness of sin. Or throughout the course of the year, the, the seven different festivals that happened all along the course of the year, there was the preparation days and weeks ahead of time. And then the actual celebration day was part of their, their worship moment. And what Jesus and this religious leader agree on is that even above and beyond all of those things is that you love God and you love people. The same interchange is recorded in Matthew chapter 22. Where the answer is, these two things are greater than all the law and the prophets, which is the inclusivity of the entire Hebrew Bible. Everything, nothing matches what it means to follow what Jesus has commanded of us as his followers, to love God and to love people. You and I, every single day that we get out of bed, when we open our eyes and we take that first big breath, when we turn and put our feet on the floor, you and I should be in the habit of asking this one question each and every day. God, how can I love you better today? How can I love you better today? Not like I did yesterday or last week or last summer while we were at church camp or on the mission trip. Though today, how can I love you better than I ever have before? I mean, how would our life change if you and I took seriously what Jesus says is the most important things in our life each and every day? What would happen in our life? Because loving God sounds good, but it can be difficult. And that's why... It's hard, but not complicated. I mean, to love God and people with every facet of who you are, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, physically. I mean, twice a day in a Jewish life, they would say the Shema out loud twice a day. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen, O Israel, there is just one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They would say that every single day, twice a day, the command to love everything. Now, I, I grew up knowing about God. Oh, I, I could tell you all the Bible stories, Old Testament, New Testament. I, I knew how to pray. I knew how to get in front of people and and do whatever I needed to do on a Sunday morning, waiting on the table or maybe offering a prayer. I knew about God, but I didn't know God. And so when I left home at 18, I kind of spun like a top, call it my wilderness time, made some very poor decisions in my life along the way, which I regret each and every day of my life. But then I met Robin, and we decided the day after we got married to recommit to God, to say, God, we're, we're kind of used up, so to speak, but if you can use us in your kingdom in any way, we are, we're up for the story. 
Show us where we can plug in. So we, we moved to Minnesota for nine months. And that's not a good place for a southerner to be where there's just a lot of ice and snow. <laughs> no. So I was on the phone every week asking the home office, Walmart, hey, when can you move me back south? When, when can I go back south? And after nine months, we finally got the call to, to get to move to Ponca City, Oklahoma, where we built, or I helped build the, the uh, 12th Supercenter in the Walmart chain. They kept me on there as the operations manager, but while in Ponca, we were there eight years, we got to plug into a great church, Grand Avenue, where Larry Kern was the preacher. He took me under his wing once I heard the call to go into ministry, so to speak, as a youth minister, and I've never looked back 27 years. It's been the best experience of my life. Amen. It's been terrific. But it was life-changing for me. Because, see, I read Luke 15, and I realize I was the prodigal son. And to feel the love and grace that God could offer me despite my decisions. Church, it's life-changing that God truly loves you no matter where you are or what you've done. He wants a relationship with you. And so Jesus says in his text, in spite of that, in light of that, God's loved you so much now. And in return, we love him with all of our life. We give a grateful life back to him, thanking him for how much he has loved us. We love him with everything that we have. And God has always been moving toward us ever since his loss in the garden when we committed sin and we broke that relationship. God's always been moving toward us to get that relationship back. But you take a look at Genesis chapter 1 when God is hovering over the face of the deep and then finally he connects with Moses in Exodus chapter 19 to reconnect with his own special people, the Israelites. And then in Exodus 40 when he finally moves into their, their place in the tabernacle and eventually the temple in Jerusalem. And then the New Testament, John chapter 1, reveals to us that Jesus Christ came to earth. God with skin on Emmanuel. He moved into our neighborhood literally and dwelt among us. And then Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that his spirit lives within us. Do you see the story? God constantly moving toward us, wanting a relationship with us to be a part of our life. So how, how do I... Get better at loving God. What do I do in my life to express my love for him? Because if we read the text, what we see is that, that God wants us to love him and our neighbors. The, the ones who live near us. I mean, we, we can all say, hey, I love everybody. That's what I'm supposed to say. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But if we really get down to, to really investigating the story, I can say I love everyone except for you because of what you said to me. <laughs> except for you because you don't really vote for my team. Except for you because of what you said about my family. We exclude people in that process. And that's why it's not complicated but hard to follow Jesus Christ. Because he calls us to look different than the world around us. I mean, what would happen if you truly were to love the people around you? 
literally around you. The Barna Group is an American research company, and they, they look at, they study culture and church. They study Christians and non-Christians, and they put that information together. And what they've discovered along the way is that people who call themselves Christians and people who are unchristian are not Christian. There is very little discernible measurement in how we love people. I don't know about you, church, but that's disappointing to me. Because church is people of God. It's people who say we love Jesus Christ. We should be head and shoulders above what the world does. We should be a shining light for how we're called to love in Jesus Christ. And so I want you to play along with me this morning. On the back side of your bulletin, there's some, a place to take some sermon notes. And there's a place to write down six families that live around you, literally in your neighborhood. If you know their names, the family name, Write it down in those six spaces. It could be people right across the street from you, on either side of you, whoever they are, just six families. How well do you know those who actually live around you? When Robin and I uh, lived in Kansas City, a suburb called Olathe, one night we're sitting on the couch watching television, and one of the parents in my youth group, he calls me and he says, Tim, do you know why the, uh, the street is blocked off by police cars in your in your neighborhood. And I thought, oh, they caught me. <laughs> I said, no, no, I haven't. So I went to the window and I looked at it. And sure enough, we live in a cul-de-sac and the street that cuts the cul-de-sac off, so to speak. There was a police car on one end, a police car on the other end. They had the red and uh, blue lights going. I saw a fire truck, an ambulance, a couple of black SUVs. And I thought, interesting. And like any good American guy, I walked out to the sidewalk to see what was going on. Looked up and down, didn't really see anything. So I walked to the end of our cul-de-sac. It's dark outside. I began to see some silhouettes of policemen hiding behind trees. And I thought, hmm, maybe I should go back inside. <laughs> maybe. So I turned to go back to my house, and some guy pops out of one of the SUVs and walks over. He's dressed all in black. And he said, sir, where, where do you live? And hesitantly, I said, right there. He said, do you mind if I use your, your garage to change my clothes? I said, sure. He said, I'm with the SWAT team here on Olathe, and we've got a situation in the neighborhood, and I just need a place to change if that would be okay. So walked him to the garage. He said, I'll knock on the kitchen door that was attached to the garage when I'm done. So I went in the kitchen, waited. He knocked on the door, opened the door. He's all geared up. He's got the helmet, the goggles, everything, sniper rifle. I'm thinking, wow, what's going on here? He begins to walk away, but he turns quickly and he says, by the way, do you have a, a window in your second story that looks out over the houses behind you? And I said, sure. <laughs> I was conflicted. I, I'll say, I was conflicted. He said, well, I'll come back and knock on the door if I need to use it. I said, great. Well, we, I waited and waited and waited for the excitement. No knock ever came. And we finally went to bed, got up the next day. The police cars were gone. But what I discovered was... The house right behind me, right across the fence, there was a domestic dispute, and the dad had taken the kids hostage and kind of boarded himself up in the house. And they were trying to get the kids out safely. My point of the story is I had no idea who my neighbor was because I'm like every other American. I get in my car, in my garage, I back out, I go to work, do my thing, come home, get back in the garage, go in and tend to my family. I don't even know the people around me. How many of us 
could say that exact same thing. As we think about our families that live next to us in our neighborhoods. I mean, what might happen in your life and their life if you became the best neighbor ever? What what might happen if they knew that you were praying for their hurts, their dreams, and everything in between? What if they knew you were praying for them in those two moments? What if those six families saw Jesus Christ through the lens that you carry in your life? What if you became that person? And so very quickly in the time we have remaining, I want to give you four quick ideas that I think will help us become the person that Jesus wants us to be. As we not only love God with all who we are, but also those around us. And the number one thing is this. Be a neighbor that stays. Be a person who gets to know your neighbors. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. We we live in a time period where we seem like we are so connected to everyone around us through social media and texting. We're on everything, but the research also shows that although we are connected in all of those ways, we are the loneliest human beings that have ever been measured in, in our history. We are lonelier than ever. And so the call for you and I is that we would be people who create conversational moments with those around us. So when you see your neighbor outside taking the trash out, mowing the grass, pulling the weeds, playing with the kids, take time to get to know them. What's your name? What's going on in your life? How are things going with you? Researchers call what we do cocooning. It's this idea that we put fences around our yard, we put the earbuds in, we go in our, in our garage, out the garage to work back and forth, but we really never talk to anybody, engage with anyone around us. So be a neighbor who stays in connection with those around you. Secondly, be a neighbor who prays. Be a person who talks to God for the good of your neighbors. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? Don't be concerned for your own good, but also for the good of others. Don't talk to your neighbors about God until you've talked to God about your neighbors. It changes your heart. It changes your mindset of how you interact with those around you. Pray because, church, that's what Christians do. We pray for those who are hurting, who are down who are dreaming. We talk to God about those around us. A third idea is to be a neighbor that plays. Be a person who opens your heart and your home to the neighbors around you. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Church, as people of God, we should have that down pat. That should be a no-brainer that we would be hospitable to those who are around us. And I know that there are some here this morning thinking, well, that's just not my gift set. Well, learn the gift set. That's what Jesus would do. Be Christ-like. Be kind. Be compassionate. Be, Be a person people want to be around. That's the kind of guy I want to be. I mean, Jesus said some things about himself in his ministry that really encompass everything that he wanted to be. 
The first idea is in Mark chapter 10. He said he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And so we trying to be like Jesus should be servants to those around us. We should serve those around us. In Luke chapter 19, he said that he was someone who came to save and redeem his people. And while that's not our task, our job is to carry that story to those around us so they too can experience redemption just like you and I have experienced. And the naysayers said in Luke chapter 7 that he's always eating and drinking with people that he shouldn't be. He was always at the table with folks that he shouldn't be, always coming or going from a meal. But in Jesus' culture, that was his way of saying, I value you. To sit at table with someone lets them know that you, you love them, you care about them. And I dare say it's no different today. It, it says the same message in our culture. The most underutilized ministry space in our culture are our kitchens and our dining rooms. And you and I should learn to be hospitable to those around us. And the last idea is this. Be, be a neighbor who says. Be a person who shares your story of grace. Talk about Jesus when the time is right with those that you come in contact with. I mean, that's what Paul says to the church of Thessalonica. He says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Paul says, I shared the good news of Jesus Christ, but also how that affected me in my own life, what I'm about. You see, I want to speak about Jesus not as a formula, but as a satisfied customer. I want to be someone who shares the story of Jesus and say, this is how Jesus impacted and affected my life in great and positive ways. And I know you want to share that story too. I don't know how many of you have done this yet, but writing down your story, how you came to Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, you need to do that. Maybe you keep a journal, do it in that, maybe in the back front of your Bible. Write down, what day did you make a decision? You know, Jesus might be the real thing. Maybe I want to turn to him. Who was involved in that process of getting you to better understand? What day did you decide to, to be baptized into Christ? Who was a part of that process? Write that story down. And once you get it written down, kind of condense that into a five-minute block of time. And you'll have it. You'll have the moment that you can share your story and how Jesus has impacted you and how you are a satisfied customer. There are lots of things in our way, church. Things that interfere with us doing what we're truly called to do. But what you and I find along the way is if we'll make a decision to really live out this idea, the two most important things, what we'll find is that interference is actually very beautiful for us because it changes our life and our perspective. And so the writer of Hebrews reminds each and every one of us in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, how that that is to come about, that we're to throw off everything that, that hinders us in our race. The writer says, now since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus who the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Church, we've been given a race. 
And so we fix our eyes on Jesus to become everything that he's created us to be in our life. We're called to love with all of our heart. And so the call this morning is that you and I would realize how blessed, how loved we are. And because of that realization, we give back to those around us and to God how very much we are in love with him and his creation. And so that's the call this morning is that you and I would throw off the things that prohibit, would throw off our, our stress and the anxiety, and that we would just be the people that God's created us to be. You don't have to know all the steps. You just have to know the next one. That's it. So in our lives, we're asking the Holy Spirit to bless us, to guide us, to give us wisdom and direct us and how we're called to live out life for his glory and his story. As we sing this next song, I know that our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. Uh, and maybe there's something that's tripping you up in life. And let me encourage you to go find one of those couples. Let them pray for you and over you as we reach out and try to embrace the two greatest things that Jesus says for us in our life. To love God and love people. Let's stand together and praise his name as the body of Christ.